Today's episode of Recovery Survey is fueled by Brainwash Coffee Company. I'm sure you've heard that drug and alcohol use is on the rise, especially during the pandemic. And Brainwash Coffee Company is working to raise money and awareness to support people seeking help. They donate 50% of their profits and their mission is to give back to the amazing recovery community. Their why is bold and their coffee is fresh. So if you want to sip on an amazing brew that warms your mind, body, and soul, then visit brainwashcoffeeco.com and use promo code recovery survey at checkout to get $5 off your first order. Brainwash Coffee Company, simple coffee for complicated people. You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. I want people to know that they can survive anything in sobriety. And I'm grateful to this program that I'm able to get through this because this is really horrible. But through you guys and through my sobriety and through recovery and through years of trying to do the right thing and getting through it. My guest today is named Martha Jones. She is a child of alcoholics and she recently celebrated 25 years sober. Welcome to the show, Martha. Hi everybody. My name is Martha and I'm an alcoholic and uh, it's a pleasure to be here today. I just celebrated 25 years of sobriety. My sober date is July 20th, 1997. I got sober. My home group is in New York City, um, the studio group on 74th between 1st and 2nd. Um, Oh boy, where do I start? I currently live in the quiet corner of Connecticut, which is sort of the northeasternmost part of the state where Connecticut, Rhode Island, and uh, Massachusetts meet. I'm a city girl in the country. I went to my first AA meeting in Los Angeles in 1988. And I, yes, I didn't get sober till 1997 in New York. So I took a while to, uh, to get here. I grew up in Connecticut. So I'm back from whence I came. I am the product of two alcoholics, two very well-educated professional alcoholics. My dad was a pediatrician and my mother was a teacher and a writer. Growing up was full of privilege in a lot of ways and full of terror and turmoil in a lot of ways. Privilege in the sense I went to, you know, extremely good schools and, you know, we had a lot of the material surroundings and I'm very grateful for both of those. But my mother was extremely, extremely abusive, physically, emotionally, sexually, pretty much throughout my childhood. Um, My dad was kind of absent a lot. He was working a lot, having affairs a lot, sort of leaving my brother and I alone to bear the wrath of my mom. My mom was pretty great without her alcohol. She was really a different person with it. So when I turned 17, I graduated from high school and I went out to Los Angeles to go to USC and um, make myself 
a new person. And um, I did, and I had a wonderful time at USC, and I stayed out there for 15 years after I graduated. And I basically got an MRS degree at USC. And my drinking career kind of took off after I graduated. I sold real estate after college and um, really had a good time with that. But, you know, that entailed a lot of drinking and a lot of, you know, celebrating pretty much anything. And um, I married a football player who had a little bit of a cocaine problem. <laughs> you know, I dabbled here and there, but alcohol, wine and champagne were pretty much my, my sons of choice. And gosh, so much to say in between those years, but basically... My drinking really escalated quickly between the late 80s and early 90s. And I was drinking about three bottles of wine a day, every day, um, having blackouts. And I was drinking and driving all the time. I'm extraordinarily ashamed. And I feel awful saying that I did that. I would, I was working in Orange County, California and living in Westwood. And that's like an hour's drive on the freeway. And there were times I had no idea how I got home. And I, I am just so grateful to God that I didn't hurt anybody. I didn't hurt myself. I, I, I did get one uh, DUI and I was somehow able to keep my license and, and not have it count toward my license. I, I don't know how that happened. I was very lucky, but I stopped drinking and driving at that point. I, mean, I just drank at home um, for many years after that. My life started swirling down the drain um, in the early 90s. I divorced my husband. My mother got cancer. I was commuting back and forth to and from LA to New York to Connecticut to take care of her pretty much every weekend. And, you know, a lot of regret as far as realizing that my mom was dying and half of her death was caused by alcohol. Growing up, I'm sort of going all over the place here, but my, my parents were also pill heads. You know, my dad was a doctor, as I said, and he provided her with any pill she wanted. I believe that the combination of, of all the pills and all the alcohol gave her metastatic breast cancer and brain cancer. And um, she died in uh, July of 95, excuse me, 93. And then I really went off the deep end. And um, I ended up moving back East. I moved to Manhattan. I got into real estate then. And it got to the point where I just, I could, my panic attacks were so bad. I couldn't even put one foot in front of the other in the city. I, I couldn't walk. I couldn't function. And a few years before I had gone to AA in Beverly Hills and I started immediately sleeping with a guy with 10 years and, you know, he should not have done that. I was a willing participant, but you know, the concept of 13th stepping was in my head and it really prohibited me from seeking help through AA in New York City initially because I was hurt and I was upset and I had this impression of AA that was negative because of that guy in LA. You know, in July of, of 97, I felt so desperate. You know, I was given the gift of desperation. I couldn't walk. I couldn't function. Every day was just mired in black depression because I was so hungover. 
all the time. And I found that there was a meeting two blocks away from my house. And I said, God, please just let me get two blocks away. Let me just check it, please. I need help. I can't take this anymore. And I walked in and the theme of the meeting was 13 stepping. And I knew I'd come home. I really, truly did. I did everything they said. I sat like a little kid. I'm very sort of defiant and, you know, stubborn and hard-headed. And I literally sat there like a little kindergartner. And I did everything they said. And I got a sponsor right away. And I let AA and everybody, you know, love me till I could love myself and hold my hand until I could function on my own. And it was an absolute godsend. It is an absolute godsend. This program is the most amazing program I've ever, ever experienced in my entire life. You know, I did 90 and 90, then more 90 and 90. My sponsor is still my sponsor today, you know, after all these years. She lives out in California now, and, you know, it's so ironic that we switch places. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm, I'm so blessed. At four years sober, I adopted a little boy from Guatemala. And he's now 23 and he's amazing. The last year and a half has been the most challenging part of my life. I'm skipping over many years. I want to talk about this because I want people to know that they can survive anything in sobriety. As I said, you know, my dad was a pediatrician and I did work in his office for many years as a social worker. He um, ended up moving in with us a year and a half ago. He was 91, still practicing medicine, but physically he had had so many illnesses that he couldn't practice in an office anymore. And I made an arrangement for him to live with us here and practice on a telemedicine practice. This coincided with, with uh, COVID also. And long story short, while he was here and I was cleaning out his old office, moving him here, et cetera. I found out my dad was a pedophile and I found thousands of photographs of boys in compromising positions, let's say, and um, there were patients of his. I didn't know what to do. I, I absolutely freaked out. And at the same time, my son confessed, well, confided in me that my father had molested him from the ages of four to 10. And in some ways, it sort of put all the pieces to a puzzle together for me. I'm 58 years old, and something's been gnawing me like this all my life. And I went to law enforcement. I turned all these pictures over to law enforcement. I, and my son and I made statements to police officers. And um, I moved my father out of the house and into a nursing home because my, my son couldn't be around him. Uh, my father had made inappropriate moves on me, and it was a really messed up situation. And um, I did the right thing. And my father is very beloved and highly esteemed and internationally renowned, and I had to do what was right for my son and I. And I did. And uh, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. And he actually died in May of this year. I still haven't gotten his ashes back from the funeral home. I, I, I just can't do it. My brother and he are estranged also for a different reason. And 
you know, I'm doing the best I can, but this is horrifying. You know, I adopted this little child out of every goodness of my heart and I love him more than anybody in the whole world. Um, I have a very loving and supportive partner. He's wonderful um, and supportive, but this is something that I've got to do on my own. You know, I talk about it. I'm in therapy. My son is in therapy, specialized PTSD therapy. He's still getting all A's in school. He made national honor roll. You know, he's doing the best he can. He does not drink. He doesn't use drugs. He's 23, like I said, so he could if he wanted to, but he's not. And I'm grateful to this program that I'm able to get through this because this is really horrible. This is horrible. My father was a predator to his patients. And it's very hard to accept all of this. But through you guys and through my sobriety and through recovery and through years of trying to do the right thing, I suppose, um, or learning how to, at least my hope is that I am, um, I'm getting through it. And I'm going back to school on Monday, studying forensic science. <laughs> and um, who would have thought I was a forensic scientist, but I am. So a lot of things are happening and I'm just beyond grateful. I just, I'm beyond grateful. We'll get through this. We'll move on. Tough things happen that you're going to get through it and just hang in there. I, I appreciate you being so vulnerable and, and sharing some of those difficult situations. And, you know, I, I, I had a friend who, who found out something similar to, to the story with your dad here recently about really? you know, his, his kids um, being abused by a family member while he was in his addiction. And Oh my gosh just going through that whole thing of feeling responsible where if I hadn't been drinking, maybe I could have done something. Maybe I could have seen those signs. Maybe, maybe things would have been different. You know, all those, all those questions, all those thoughts that he has in his head and, and, you know, blaming himself and feeling like, you know, he could, yeah. he could have done something differently if he hadn't been, been drinking. And I know it's, it's gotta be difficult to, to process those things. And, and I can't even imagine what that would be like. It is. And then, you know, I, like I said, I worked there and for years now I have patients coming to me because the word gets around the grapevine um, and I've kept it quiet, but still word has gotten around asking me if they should talk to their children and how could he have taken these pictures when we were in the room? Well, these were pictures from, you know, many, many years ago and there were Polaroids and, you know, when you didn't have to develop pictures. And so it's very disturbing. Yeah. That, that, that's tough. Yeah. I'd be curious. I'd be curious to, to know your point of view on this. Cause I've had a lot of guests on here that have talked about, growing up in a household with parents that are also alcoholics, do you think that, a, that alcoholism is a family disease? Do you think it's something that you can pass down through your genetics? Or do you think that maybe, uh, I guess the, the, the flip side of that would just be being in that environment and seeing that. What do you think that it's more, that you're more likely to drink because you're just in that environment? Or do you think that it's actually something that's genetic? 
I absolutely feel that it's genetic. I was so determined not to be an alcoholic because my mother drank uh, whiskey scotch, I guess you call it. And the smell alone just turned my stomach every morning. And I drank wine uh, much later on and on another coast thinking that, you know, I was safe because it's wine and, you know, I'm a wine connoisseur with class kale, you know, with a K and, I never, it took me ages to, to realize that, you know, booze is booze and drugs a drug. And, you know, I felt that I had escaped all of that, but, you know, statistics show that if you have two alcoholic parents and more than one child, at least one of you are going to become an alcoholic. And that's exactly what happened. My brother was spared. Um, and apparently, you know, since living with my father and, and learning about past generations, my mother's mother was an alcoholic. My father's, one of the relatives on my father's side was an alcoholic. We have, we're just loaded. So genes certainly play a role. And the insidiousness of this disease, you know, is what told me that, you know, you're not an alcoholic. You're just a wine connoisseur, you know, which is a bunch mm -hmm. of BS. Obviously, it, it got a hold of me. I remember the, one of the first times I ever drank, you know, seriously drank. I threw up all over the place for like days and days. I, <laughs> I had my first sips with my mom when I was like eight years old, we, we were out at a restaurant and I, I would just sneak sips of, of booze when I was like eight. And then we'd have communion at our church and the, and the pastor would come around with the chalice of the wine and the, and the, the, you know, the blood of Christ, the body of Christ. And I was always like tipping that chalice of the blood of Christ, you know, just tipping it into my mouth, e even as a child, like, Ooh, that wine's good. So that's genetics right there. Very strongly believe that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with you. And I can remember, Oh, it was, it was a Thanksgiving and I think I was 10 or 11 and, and, all the adults had a glass of wine with the meal and, and then they all went to the living room and left the wine glasses at the, at the dining room table. And I remember sneaking in there and everybody had like, you know, little bits left in the glass. And I went through there and just, you know, finished them all. Oh, yeah. I can remember, yeah. I can remember that was the first time I had ever had any kind of alcohol. And I don't think that I got drunk cause there wasn't enough, but I definitely got a little bit of a oh, buzz. Sure. I remember, even as a kid being like, I like the way this sure. feels. This is, this is nice. Like I want to continue to do this. Right. And what, what my dad used to get all sorts of booze for holidays and we'd have, you know, heaps of it in our, in our wine cabinet. And then I used to, this is terrible to say, but my mother used to send me to go buy her alcohol and cigarettes from like the age of 11 on. I'd walk down to the end of the street and go to the liquor store and the next door to the supermarket and buy a carton of cigarettes and, you know, two um, bottles of Hag and Hag Pinch, which was her scotch. And the liquor store man, who was very nice, you know, the times were different back then and he would give me an extra bottle of wine to give to my mom just as a you know thank you for your business and I started I had a little alcove in my closet and with a door on it and I started putting those bottles of wine in my alcove I would keep them and I never drank them but I was like wow I've got a wine cellar you know I'm cool at 11 years old and I accumulated them over the years until I moved to California and I had this you know 
hundreds of bottles of wine in there that remained untouched. But I was like, look at me, I'm so sophisticated. But what I found interesting is I never was attracted to the pills. I mean, we had like a pharmacopoeia in, in our medicine cabinet. My friends would come over and be like, wow, look at all these drugs. And they'd be like, can we have some? And I'm like, I, yeah, I guess. But I knew exactly what they were all for, you know, like Tolwin and um, Paragoric. And I knew I, I still have such a fascination with, psych- with pharmacology and psychopharmacology because of that experience. And I would say to my mom, like, why can't you just take, you know, a Tylenol instead of a, a Tolwin or Furanel or Dar- Darvacet? You know, why can't you just take like what normal people take? Pepto for a stomach ache instead of a tigan. Like everything was like some dramatic, you know, opiate, you know, <laughs> along with the booze. And uh, she would get angry with me for saying things like that. And my friends would just be like, ooh, you know, well, let's take some drugs. And I'm like, oh, whatever. And I know I thankfully, thank God, never was found that appealing at all. I smoked pot like a handful of times and I hated it. I sniffed a couple of lines of cocaine at USC and it made me want more. And, you know, I was like, okay, the end. And that was it for my drug use. But give me that wine, that champagne. And I was, you know, off to the races. You know, I could start at brunch, quote unquote, you know, brunch, haha. And uh, the minute you gave me some booze, you know, those two things, I, I couldn't stop. I just could not stop. And I would be drinking all day. And all night till I passed out and or threw up, like just couldn't stop. I definitely, definitely know. I definitely know I have been there and I don't think throwing up ever made me stop. I would throw <laughs> up and then we'd keep going. Yeah. That was just now, now I need another drink to, to cleanse the, the nasty taste in my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> now I, I've been in many bathrooms Oh, geez. You know, I've done it on the side of my bed and all the lying about, oh, I had food poisoning. You know, it's so ridiculous. You know, I was bulimic too. I had all that, you know, that manifested from my childhood. And then they overlapped. And oh, I know a lot of women can relate to that too, for sure, in the program. But as you recover, you know, you realize eating disorders at least for me, was not an answer either. And um, I've done a lot of work. This thing with dad, my dad was definitely a punch in, punch in the gut. So definitely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so we're getting kind of towards the end of our time. So I would love if you could, you mentioned at the beginning of the episode that you just celebrated 25 years, which is incredible. That's a huge milestone. Yeah, thank I, you. I can't even imagine what that must be like. I'm still... I'm still kind of far away from that one myself. Uh, but if, if you wouldn't mind, what would, what would be some advice that you would give either yourself in the beginning or a newcomer or somebody that maybe they're thinking about getting sober, sober curious, what, what's a message that you would give to somebody that's new? I promise you it gets better. I promise you it works. Just give it a try. Just open, open your mind. Like I said, I, I went to my first meeting in 88. Try not to wait as long as I did. You know, you don't need to go from LA to New York. I do everything the hard way. Don't You don't need to do that. 
when I say I was like a little kid, I felt like a little kid, you know, in, in, in kindergarten. And that's okay. You know, allow yourself to be vulnerable. People care. You know, people, I care so much about people getting sober. I love everybody in the program. You know, we care genuinely. And since we've done it ourselves, we know exactly what you're going through. You know, there's nothing you can say that we've never heard before. You know, we love you and and we're here for you. And just please have faith that, you you know, that's true because it is. And try to do 90-90 in the beginning and then do 90-90 more. And 25 years has gone by lightning fast. First year seemed like forever. And then suddenly it was 10 years and here I am. And I did a lot of messed up stuff when I was drinking and I regret it, but you know, you work it out and your life changes tremendously. I feel like I'm the person I was supposed to be. Still have a long way to go, but it's just been an absolute godsend and I'm extraordinarily grateful. I'd be dead now. I'd be dead for sure. That's a great message. And I think you're the first person that's ever brought that perspective of just saying that the people in the rooms care. And I think that that's such a great message for people to hear. I know for me, I definitely felt that when I first started going to meetings and, and I kind of didn't want to believe that it was true because I was coming from this place where everybody that I'd surrounded myself with wanted me, you know, wanted me to share my drugs or my alcohol or, Mm -hmm. you know, there was always some kind of catch. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think that there were people that genuinely cared for me, even though they didn't know who I was, but you're absolutely right. There are so many people in the rooms that, that just want to help that just want to, because we, like you said, we've been there, we've been through that struggle. We know what it feels like. We know, uh, we we know the pain and the misery and the suffering that that it, what it's like to be in that place and we just want to help and so I love yeah. that you bring that up I think that that's a fantastic thing and and hopefully somebody that's listening right now hears that and and maybe that'll be the thing that they need to hear that'll give them that extra little motivation to maybe go to their first meeting or get back into meetings or whatever it may be so I I really do appreciate you sharing that absolutely. Absolutely. And especially if you have trust issues, like I definitely do. It's okay. We we have them too. And it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree with that as well. I, I still, I still find myself with some trust, some trust issues. I can, I can do like some surface level, but to, to take it to that next, that next step of, I, I still can be kind of iffy on that. So I, I, I definitely, and you know, my partner has 33 years and he and I, you know, we're constantly talking. We're constantly, he has two kids. I've got one and we're blended family and, you know, we work on our relationship every day and we're supposed to be like sober people and he's still ironing things out. It's life. Yep. You got sober. You didn't get perfect. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Well, Martha, I appreciate you coming on the show today. Of course. If there's anybody that's listening that wants to get in contact with you, do you have any kind of social media platform that you would be willing to give out? Sure. Um, you know, my Facebook's set to private, 
Can, can I just get my email? Would that be okay? Or that's fine if that's what you like. Okay, it's it's uh, Martha S. Like Sam Jones seven two zero nine seven. So we're date at gmail.com. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming on your very first podcast episode. Hopefully, it wasn't as frightening and terrible as you thought it no, would be. It was good. Thank you. <laughs> you were very easy to talk to. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for coming on and, and you, you shared a lot of stuff that, that that took a lot of courage. And I know it, it can be difficult to talk about a lot of the stuff that you talked about today. And, and I really just do appreciate you coming on, being vulnerable and open and honest and, and sharing the good, the bad, the ugly and, and yeah. leaving us with that message of hope and, and letting us know, you know, where, where the, where we can find the hope and, and that there are people that care about us, even if we don't know them, that there are people that are willing to help. And I really, really do appreciate you coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Take care. Martha, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really do appreciate it. And I'm just so blown away by your willingness to share so many dark details from your story and and letting us know that we can overcome whatever obstacles we may face. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes.